Welcome to the Gate Drop Podcast. GateDrop.com, giving you the jump in motocross news. Hello everyone, welcome to another GateDrop.com podcast. I'm Jonathan Recruiting. Jo- joining me today, of course, is Andrew McKinstry. And Andy, we're just going to have to have a brief chat about the Paris Supercross. This was your first time at such an event, the, the biggest indoor arena event you'd been to was the Arena Cross in Belfast. How did you find this one? Bonjour, ça va. Um, yeah, my first time being at a big big Supercross race, as, as you just said there. Yeah, it was pretty good. I have to say the stadium, the size of the stadium was compared to Belfast, like pretty unbelievable. The amount of people you could have in there. Um, obviously, I've heard good things about Bercy and things like that. And it's probably better atmosphere wise because obviously the stadium, there's more people in it. They're probably a bit more spread out. But in terms of the the size, it's very good. And, you know, even if with the paddock inside, just inside the the arena they can still have a good track if you ditched the 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 paddock and put it outside or something and you you didn't need the freestyle i mean you could have a proper supercross track in there i would say pretty comfortably you'd probably get the minute lap time anyway and you could have something uh equivalent to what they have in america probably but with the with the elite gp guys there or with a couple of those there and not as many as americans over as usual uh, i think the track was pretty good um, obviously no whoops, but I thought the sound section was the my my favorite part of the track, and I thought it was pretty good because we've seen some good close racing. Yeah, just my thoughts on that. I've been to Bercy a couple of times, and the atmosphere feels more intense when you're there. It's a smaller track, but the stadium seems to be on on top of of the track, and the fans closer. I would say the atmosphere would be more intense there, but saying that, it was still good at the, the Defence Arena and certainly the stadium is very, very impressive. Very modern, a good floor space. It's probably pretty close to what a US Supercross would be if anyone's been to that. The stadium, obviously, they used a bit of the small bit of the stadium for the paddock as well, but if, if they wanted to, they could probably have pretty much a full-length American Supercross track there. Regarding the, the track itself, I know there have been some negativity that there wasn't real stadium whoops and that, but I actually like the sand whoops it mixed it up a wee bit some people were going through there faster than others depending on, on your technique and how you got through them and then you had that wall jump which was pretty cool after i didn't really have a problem with the track the racing was pretty good i think maybe the hard packed nature of the circuit prevented more passing maybe than even the the obstacles there was certain rhythms guys were doing and sometimes that they were messing up so it wasn't completely easy Obviously, if you're an American rider and you're used to Anaheim, longer longer rhythm sections, a bit more tactical, and obviously a whip section, this is going to be a step back. But for a GP rider like Caroli and Roman Fevre, Maxime Renault in their first Supercross, it was still all rhythms except that one sand section, and even that was into a wall jump, which was a double. So I think it was quite a good balance for, for what was there. And for the GP riders, they still had to be competent Supercross riders. Unfortunately, we saw what happened to Roman Fevre when he made one slight error. So one error can still lead to big consequences. Unfortunately for Fevre, it was a broken leg. We'll start with Fevre, actually, before we get to, to, to the rest of, of the situation. Fevre was going very, very fast. He had absolutely no speed issues whatsoever. He went quickest in the second practice session. He looked like he was on pole, actually, in the morning on the Saturday. And he messed the corner up in, in the final corner while being purple for all the rest of the sections. 
So for Roman Fevre, his speed was very good. His timing was actually pretty good. But just one mistake cost him big. And I'm hoping that doesn't impact his next World Championship season in 2022. That's the big worry. But in terms of can Fevre ride Supercross, certainly that level of Supercross, he's, he's really, really fast. And he was probably the closest rider to Marvin Muskin on, on raw speed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he was very, very impressive speed-wise coming into it. I was expecting Musquin and Brayton to be a level ahead of the other guys and the GP riders, but Fever was very impressive speed-wise. I think the problem was he was nearly too fast and he got a bit excited when he got in behind Musquin because he was actually closing closing the gap down to his fellow countrymen. So speed-wise, really good. But the problem with Fever is he makes quite a lot of mistakes mistakes you can get away with mistakes at motocross and supercross it's not quite as forgiven so uh nice playing catch up i mean god knows if he'll be back for the first round of mxgp and if he is he's not going to have a full winter behind him so he's already going into 2022 in the back foot now unfortunately but it's such a shame it happened because he was riding really well and it sort of put a, a dampener in the event for me going into that final because it looked like he was going to be the only man to get anywhere near close to Marvin Muscor. Yeah, most people will have will have seen the crash, and Fever at that time was second, and it looked like he had a sight set on Marvin. Marvin was obviously three starts, three hole shots, three wins for him, and he looked fantastic. We had heard he was riding really well in America. That proved to be true with, with what we saw in Paris. Of course, his real elite-level competition wasn't there. They're all preparing in America still, but for Marvin to come there, get good laps in three races, as it turned out, with basically a triple crown style race program, as well as some some practice on on the Friday, it has to be pretty much a, a perfect weekend for Marvin Muscon, and he looked in complete control the whole time. That technical style that Marvin's known for was evident again. He was able to do whatever he wanted on the bike, and he he wasn't really making any mistakes. One of the biggest differences I saw was the the American, the Supercross-based riders, they were very precise on the rhythms, but the, the GP riders would maybe make a mistake every so many laps on a rhythm and miss a rhythm, and instead of doing a triple, would have to double. But in contrast to that, their corner speed was so impressive. So they seemed to make the time up on the turns, and the, the American AMA-based riders had really, really good timing and, and limited their mistakes and obviously had speed th- through the rhythms. You obviously you're talking fine margins for each case, but it was quite interesting just to see the, the subtle differences there. Yeah, exactly. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I noticed the exact same things as well. GP guys, corner speed, second to none, and then you know the rhythms, like like you said, that's when the the American riders excelled. It was quite funny seeing Lapino having absolutely no problems putting in fast laps in qualifying, and you know you, you see Lapino ride a bike, you wouldn't think he's he's going to ride supercross but it goes to show he was able to put fast laps in but when it came to the racing it was a slightly different story because obviously the gp guys wouldn't be used to that sort of intensity such a short race and and sprints really and uh, to be able to replicate that qualifying lap was a bit more problematic for the likes of lapino but i thought antonio crowley was unbelievable really i just to be honest i watched him during the whole finals it's, he blew me away to be honest i don't know why because he is one of the best riders to ever ride a bike, but it was just nice. It, the way he done it impressed me because you could tell Fevre was sort of, from lap one, he was on the gas all day, whereas Crowley on the Friday, you know, he maybe done three fast laps over both the quali- both the sessions. 
you know, he was just taking his time to find his rhythm. And you could tell on race day, every race, he was getting better and better. And, you know, he probably could have still went faster if he wanted to. He wasn't taking any risks out there. And it just goes to show how good he is. Uh, making that pass on uh, Justin Brayton on the last corner uh, and, the, and the fans went mad. It was a good end of his professional career. But yes, going back on Marvin Musquin, I would say, you know, he was favoured going into that event. He was the only elite supercross rider there, I would say. Obviously, Brayton on his day can run with Marv, but when it comes to consistency and when you look at the MS Supercross, you would put Musquin in as a as a guy that can win on his day. He can get regular podiums on his day. So I think for him, it was more just uh, nice to be racing back in France again in front of his home crowd, something he hasn't done in a while. But uh, in terms of what he's got, I think we'll see more when the MS Supercross season gets underway and he goes up against the likes of Ferrandez, Tomac, Cincerello and many others. And we'll see what he has when that season gets underway. Yeah, you mentioned the GP riders' fast lap times, including Alex Lupino, who was a, a big surprise during, during practice. I think he even surprised himself at times. But the, the thing I noticed was racing seemed quite different to being able to put one lap together. We saw Maxime Renault get a bad start in his first race and he was half a second, eight tenths of a second quicker, usually consistently during qualifying over Kyle Peters. And even in the races, once he got into in the free air, he was he was really quick as well. But when, knowing when to make, when to push, when to make a pass, that seemed to be Renault's downfall in that first moto. He then clipped the back wheel of, of somebody with, I think, a lap to go and crashed uh, then. So little mistakes. Tony Karoliak did a similar thing, ran into the back of somebody on his first lap of his first moto. And Lupino could never show the pace he had in time practice sessions when it came to the racing. So I think there's maybe a bit of a disparity between being fast on one lap in Supercross and then adapting to that sort of race style where the tax, the track is tight. People are coming all over the place and the Americans seem to know how to race it very well. And the GP guys seem to Fevre actually again in the first moto making a few mistakes trying to get past people. Once Fevre got in the second quickly in race two, that's when he was really putting putting the pace high. But again, that one mistake got him. And Tony Caroli, he actually said he couldn't get into his rhythm. He was riding a bit tight in that first one, even when he got up. Now he was half a lap behind any, everyone. The second moto he got in, I think he was sick just behind Chad Reed. And he basically followed Chad around the whole time. And he you could see him getting his rhythm, getting his confidence from that. That was essentially his first race. And then by the third one, he, he started in the second row for anyone that hasn't seen it, but he started behind Musquin. Musquin got the whole shot and sort of created a gap for Crowley to come into. Tony took advantage of that, nipped up the inside and came out fifth. And that race, as you mentioned, you could see his progression all day. He had got second in the Super Bowl, of course, which was pretty impressive. But in terms of his, the race craft and the timing and everything, he looked in his best flow. He was up with Justin Brayton and Cedric Superass, who rode fantastic all three motos, Cedric Superass, to take second overall. He was fantastic. But Tony, you could still see that progression. And then he, he mentioned it was mentally difficult to keep the consistency of the timing with Supercross, and he needs more practice at that. And halfway through, he missed a couple of risen instead of tripling out. Before the final corner, he was he was doubling a couple of times, and that obviously cost him time, and he missed another rhythm on the other side of the track before the sand. But once he, he almost slowed himself down, got the lines back and got the flow back. And he was actually, I think, the fastest guy on the track at the end of the race. And then he, he took advantage of the Brayton Superass battle, who he had been slowly catching again. 
and uh, he put that pass on Brayton. It's a wee bit split on that. Some people think uh, Caroli was a bit too aggressive, but for me, I think it was fine. And and Tony mentioned, which I think is accurate, that Brayton didn't see him coming. He was probably still so frustrated that he hadn't passed Superass all race that he maybe forgot that the Caroli was was close enough to be able to attempt to move. For me, that was just a racing accident. Caroli had to go for that pass. It was third place, 36 years old, to get third place at a Paris Supercross against a rider of Justin Brayton's calibre, who's won Supercrosses as a top 10 regular and can even get top fives. For Caroli to do that and be on that pace is so impressive for me because it's not like he really rides Supercross ever. I think he rode Bursi when I was, I think I was actually there about 10 years ago and he was actually fast around the whole track. It was just the whoops that was costing him, but he hasn't really rode Supercross since then. And yes, there was no whoops, but even just to do all, all the timing and the obstacles, he picked it up so quickly. That was basically two practice sessions on a Friday, practice session on the Saturday morning and three races. And now the races are short, they're eight minutes, eight minutes and 12 minutes. So it's still not a lot of time, but it just shows you how talented Caroli is to be able to learn at his age and adapt to what is an intense sport that doesn't always go well with age, with your intensity drops. But Caroli just showed how talented he was and why he's one of the greatest of all time for me. Absolutely. And yeah, just on the pass with Brayton, in my opinion, there was absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's not like he went in to completely T-bone him. You know, Brayton should have protected the inside to start with. He left the door open. Caroli saw a gap and he went for it and Brayton just didn't see it coming whatsoever. Um, and that was probably the best passing spot on the track as well. So that's not where you want to leave the door open. So yeah, Caroli just went for it and sent it and got the job done for to get the podium in the, in the, in the uh, main event. And but yeah, Caroli was really, really good. Ironically, Brayton put a similar move, although on Justin Bogle, I think it was the first moto, to mm-hmm. take third away from him in that corner. Now, I think Bogle knew he was coming and gave him a wee yeah. bit more room, but even that was tight. I think there was contact made there. So it's a bit ironic that it was Brayton on the receiving end of somebody diving up the, the inside of him on the final corner in, in the last race. But for, for Tony Caroli, as I said, it was just it was another tick in, in the box for him. He showed he, he probably could have been a good super cross rider if he'd, he'd been doing it when he was 15 and 16. He certainly has the, the raw talent and the, the skill and natural ability there. But the the noise the crowd made whenever Crowley and Brayton clashed and, and Crowley went over the line to take third was unbelievable. It was the loudest cheer of the night. No doubt all what also helped that was Marvin Muskin taking the win and Cedric Subras holding on for second to give France the, the win in, in the overall cup and a French one too. But the moment Crowley and Brayton collided, that was the biggest noise of the night and probably the best moment in terms of drama and everyone seemed to be willing Crowley on. I don't think it was an anti-Justin Brayton thing whatsoever. I think it was you have a nine-time World Motocross champion running up front with, with the Supercross regulars and, and taking a third place in what was the, the main event, the longest race of, of all three. And everybody was just really happy for him as well as the, the, the dramatic drama of uh, a last turn pass that left Brayton on the deck. But it was certainly a moment that, that I won't forget anyway. Absolutely, and uh, just to point out, we did contribute to that noise uh, as well. <laughs> it was hard Everybody not to like did, to, yeah. not. <laughs> it was Everybody. hard not to be happy for Crowley for his his last uh, his last action as a professional motocross rider to to get third in that main event uh, was just really 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 good to witness. And yeah, he deserves it for everything that he's done for this sport. And uh, we're going. It's not going to be the same without him, to be honest. But 
thankfully he's, he's not going anywhere he'll be in the GP paddock working with uh, the riders for Dakari and uh, he'll probably do the Italian rounds and hopefully a couple of AMA nationals as well so we'll still get there's still plenty of life in the old dog yet <laughs> yeah we've done an interview which you can see on on the website and he he said it was mentally what having to go again at that level with all the training and the preparation that he he didn't feel he wanted to do but he still really enjoys riding his bike so i think that's why you're probably going to see him at selected races maybe a grand prix it looks like he he would like to do some u.s nationals as well so we're still going to get the same race but as you mentioned as a full-time professional where it's very serious and you're going to see the best of the best Caroli. This time next year, it looks like it's going to be more fun and he'll pick and choose what races he does. But still, it's better to see some more of Antonio Crowley than just to, to stop and uh, say nothing nothing else because what he's done for the sport, what he's done for MXGP and, and the talent level he has, still been able to, to be at the very sharp end of, of the World Championship. It's nice to see that he's getting this opportunity next year to essentially just enjoy himself with a lot less pre- pressure and pick and choose these races that maybe he wasn't able to do, like the US Nationals, like the, the Paris Supercross, even at the end of this year. They kind of tick a few boxes that way before he he, de- he really hangs his boots up full-time. Yeah, exactly, and make no mistake about it, he'll have less pressure next year. He still enjoys riding the bike, so he's still going to put plenty of laps in. So whenever he does whenever he does do these races, don't be surprised to see him ride at the front, because this guy has unbelievable talent, unbelievable on a bike, and with no real pressure, <laughs> Don't be surprised to see him right up there, and especially in the AMA Nationals, you could definitely rustle a few fellers in that paddock. Now, them boys won't want the retired MXGP rider beating them. No, it'll be certainly something to keep an eye on. Although, what level Crowley will come in at obviously remains to be seen. But still, if you're going to have Antonio Crowley at an AMA National, it's going to be worth watching. What did you think of the general show aspect of Supercross? We had the light show, we had the Squid Game rider intro, which was Pretty amazing. There were some good actors there. Chad Reed was, was very good in that. Marvin Luscon as well. And then we had a flying man who just some sort of jet powered something or other flew about the stadium for a while. And unfortunately for the MX, the SX1 riders that were waiting to go out for their first first race in the Park Firma area, he went too low there and just skated <laughs> dust up around all their goggles and, and the face and the helmets and everything. So I'm sure they weren't too pleased. But that was a pretty cool thing as well to say something that you you don't really see every day, a man just floating about a, a stadium high in the air. Yeah, it wasn't bad. I mean, yeah, it was an experience. But you know me, I like to see racing. And while all that's going on, I'm just thinking about the next skate drop that's going to happen. So yeah, while it's 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 something different, and obviously we didn't get the quite as many GPs this year, so it was good to see something else and experience that. But um, yeah, it was that side of it wasn't too bad. The flying man was. Definitely interesting. I couldn't believe the how loud it was. It was like a wee mini airplane. It was that About, loud, but yeah, yeah just a wee man. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was cool to see, anyway. Especially not something you see any day, every day. But yeah, it was it was cool. And but uh, for those uh, events like that, I just wish there was more racing. There was freestyle as well, which I'm not the biggest fan of freestyle, but it is still entertaining. There was an electric bike doing that as well and it was really weird to have no real noise going up the ramp it was a kind of silent jump as it were compared to all, all the other bikes two strokes four strokes going around and then this guy just silently drifts up the ramp and throws a big whip or whatever he was doing and now the double backflip was impressive mm. room or time to, to fit both in but that was that was definitely something cool to see yeah i've never seen a double backflip done before so that was pretty cool it was cool to see that that was that caught my attention i was like whoa that was cool 
because usually the once you see freestyle, you know, so it's pretty repetitive once you've seen it once. But um, yeah, it was good to see something different thrown in there as well. And also as well as Tony Caroli, we had Chad Reid coming over, racing in front of fans again. And as I mentioned, in that second moto, the, the two of them were, were riding together in fifth and sixth. So that was one of the moments I'll take away as well. Two legends of different sports, as it were, Supercross and, and Motocross. But definitely two of the, the biggest names that have, that have ever raced a bike. And to see them both still be pretty competitive. Reid's times, just like it was whenever he was pro, his time, qualifying times weren't setting the world alight generally. And then as soon as he got to the races, he seemed to up his level. He got two good starts out of the three. The last moto wasn't where he wanted to be, just top 10, but he was generally around the top five in the first two motos. And I think even in the first one, the first couple of laps, it was putting pressure on Justin Bogle. So Reid still had that fire in him and a, a bit of speed as well. Obviously, he wasn't the chatter Reid of 2004 or anything like that, but he was still very good. I think he's coming 40 very soon, or maybe he's 40 now, so... That was pretty impressive to see that Ray could just jump in there and still run a, a pretty good pace and to have Tony Caroli on that pace and actually beat Reid in, in the last race and even Justin Brayton. It was a wee bit of the over 30s at, at, at the Paris Supercross, but it was still it was still good racing. And Caroli and Reid, I think, played a big part of that because you knew you were watching something pretty special. Yeah, it was nice to see them both out on track together. Obviously, this is my only time seeing Chad Reid racing Supercross. Seen him at the Motocross the Nations on a few occasions. So at least I can say enough, I've seen him ride Supercross, even though he's not at his best. It was still nice and nice to see him and Cody Ball, like you said. And obviously, yeah, like you mentioned, his qualifying times weren't great. You were going to flip me, he could get smoked here. But once the gate dropped um, and he got a couple of good starts, that was all he needed, really. Obviously, the final didn't quite go to plan, but... At least he was able to um, show bits of but that he that he still has it, and it'll be interesting to see if he uh, lines up in an AMA Supercross this year. I wouldn't be surprised whatsoever if he does one or two. No, um, I wonder if he was using that as as a bit of a gauge as well, just to see where he was before he maybe attempts to put a few weeks of of training in. Maxime Renault, for me, just switching quickly to the SX2. Very impressive. I think that was his first Supercross he'd done, and and speed wise, he was. He was the fastest there by far relative to the the time. I think half a second, the tenth of the second is quite far in Supercross. One of the lap times that were around 45 seconds. But Kyle Peters, as alluded to earlier, he executed the racing a lot better than Maxime Renault did. Peters, arena cross champ, three good starts, hold shots every time, three wins, no mistakes. Maxime Renault was fighting from about fifth or sixth every single moto. And when he did get into second, he was closing in around half a second, I think one lap he got a second in one of the, one of the races on Kyle Peters, but each time he just ran out of time before we really got to see them battle for the win. So I'm sure Renault's a wee bit frustrated that he never really got that chance to really go for the win with with the speed that he had, but really impressive from him and what is, looks probably going to be, unless he's some secret race lined up that we don't know about, his final race in, on a 250. The bike sounded class, his gold boots, the gold on his jersey, Everything looked fantastic that that way. He was the world champion, and, and it was nice for him to ride in front of his home crowd and get that appreciation. But Kyle Peters, you have to give a nod to him as well. Race execution was was perfect. Yeah, exactly. It was a shame I never really got to see them battle during any of the three sprints. But uh, Kyle Peters really impressed me, to be honest. Um, but not because of his speed or anything like that, but he literally didn't make one mistake all day. No, and he didn't. They credit them like that was, you know, he it was he could have folded a few times, especially when it got close at the front. But 
he rode really, really well, and he can clearly ride well under pressure. Maxi Moreau just couldn't get the starts, and you know this is Supercross; it's seventy or eighty percent of the race when you don't get the starts, and when the guy that's leading doesn't make one mistake, and he's very, very solid. It's going to be hard to beat. But it was cool to see Maxi Moreau have a good Supercross actually, and has a good style for it, and he, he looked really good in the bike, and like you said, the bike sounded amazing. So, um, bit of a shame in my opinion that that's his MX2 career over, but. I think he's got a really good mentality, and after interviewing him, I, th- I think he's going to do good in MXCP, you know? Really yeah, he do. sounds pretty calm, but very focused on what he wants to achieve in that class and the steps it's going to take to get there. Just back to, to the racing in, in Paris and, and Renault, whenever he was in the pack trying to pass these guys, he couldn't use that corner speed, so Peters would, would be inching away. And once he managed to make the pass and he got into second, then he had a gap to where he could actually start reeling those turns again that's whenever the gap came down to, to peters and as you mentioned peters probably knew he was being closed in even though it was maybe only a minute three four laps left of the race but he, he didn't make that mistake so it was almost renault had to throw caution to the wind a wee bit and he was reeling those turns and doing everything he could but it was just never enough but as an experience i'm sure Renault's very very glad he done it and kyle peters to come over from america and go home as, as prince of bursa congratulations to him but yes renault for next year mentally i think he said he had a two-year deal as well if i remember yeah. correctly so he's gonna have time to, to get used to things next year but i think he's I definitely think he's gonna be one to watch in mxgp next season because he showed i know it's essentially an arena cross supercross scenario but he didn't have any trouble adapting whatsoever. So I think his confidence is very high. And once he gets into the factory team, we know he's, he's right, going to be riding with quality teammates as well. So Renault looked every inch a world championship level rider in terms of his confidence and his speed at the Supercross. So definitely, I think he's on it riding the wave of, of confidence and uh, definitely should be something pretty good to watch next year. Yeah, absolutely. It's his mentality that impresses me. Obviously, he's, he's got a lot of speed and talent and determination to go with that but it's just his mentality is second to none really you know he's only been in the situation of um, challenging for a world title once and he fully delivered so he deserves a lot of credit for that I think and yeah it'll be interesting to see what he can do in this 450 I think he probably suit the bike better than the 250 but the problem is the level in MXGP is pretty insane so it'll be interesting to see what he can do and where he fits in that class but he'll not have as much pressure um, in MXGP as he will uh, as he had this year, you know, whenever he had such a big points gap, it was his to lose, but he got the job done, and and yeah, he ended the season racing in front of his home crowd in Paris, and he obviously didn't win, but uh, showed a lot of speed and and uh, at at uh, conditions he's not really used to, but first Supercross race, and he, he certainly you wouldn't have thought it seeing him race, riding. And even in practice, he was he was fastest. They just kept going for another lap, another lap, mm-hmm. another lap on kind of the not maybe not the edge but it sort of looked like he was giving it everything he had but it seemed like he didn't really need to he was rocketing around the corners and giving it everything o- over the rhythm sections and he was already top of the timesheets so there was there was certainly no lack of effort for Maxime Renault every time he was on the track a couple of other riders I want to talk about quickly but before we end this talking of no lack of effort Cedric Subaras unbelievable day for him Three great starts. He refused to give in. Justin Brayton got him, I think it was at the first race and the second race, right at the end. He'd been second nearly the whole way. And on that last lap of race three, Brayton got him. Subaras countered straight back. Then Brayton tried to shut the door on him. And that's how he missed the rhythm, which allowed Carulli to get him. And Subaras sailed around the last turn, second place. And 
maybe for me, one of the, the rides of, of the weekend because we all know he's very good at Supercross. He's Arena Cross champion in the UK, always competitive in France, and he has US experience. He's had some good results. But this was this was a pretty special night for him. Yeah, he was very, very impressive, wasn't he? Um, he done everything to keep Britain behind him. And you can't take that away from him. He did deserve that second place. In my opinion, I don't think Britain was that uh, was aggressive enough, to be honest. He left it too late. And um, you know, Subras is a tricky customer. I think if he applied the pressure earlier, like he did on the last lap, I think he would have got him. But he waited too long and Subras was just never going to give that up with a lap to go. So credit to him. Fully deserved it. And the French one too. They went home happy. Another guy that was slightly under the radar, but I still think had quite a, a decent day was Justin Bogle. Hep Suzuki is first time really showing those colours and on that team off first race since he signed for them. Like we were speaking to him after. You'll be able to see an interview on YouTube shortly. And he said it was pretty much a stock bike he was on, but he's a very effervescent character, very happy. And he was he was loving the experience of being there. Loving the fact he was getting to ride with Antonio Caroli and getting to meet him and, and again with Chad Reed. So definitely, Justin is a great rider, but also a fan of the sport. And I think he's probably pretty happy. Three top fives, bit of a battle with Justin Brayton as well. Probably just something to, to get him loosened up a wee bit on the Hep Suzuki before he goes into Anaheim this January. A decent day for him. Yeah, I think the word you used to describe his day is solid. Nothing spectacular, but it also could have went a lot worse as well. Um, so a, a, a decent debut really and he'll just want to improve on that bike and build now for uh, Anaheim 1 and we'll see what he can do there with the, but uh, the AMA Supercross field is going to be very very stacked so it'll be interesting to see what he can do on the Suzuki Yeah he was mentioning in the interview just how intense that is you can be battling for 5th at a, at a Premier Class Supercross race or you can be battling for 15th and it's just as intense and, and how important those starts are so hopefully Justin will we know he has raw speed, but obviously he's had health issues and injuries and all that. So I think for him, he'll, he'll just want to get through healthy and be able to build on, on the raw speed that he has. But just overall, Paris Supercross, a definite success. It was obviously difficult to, to put together this year with COVID. It was only one day. They actually had a rugby match straight after. And as soon as the final race was over, the diggers were, were just straight in, taking away the dirt. It was pretty unbelievable. The fans were being separated in the in the pit area with, with barriers to let the, the diggers come back and forward. So that was there was no waiting around there. They had to get the dirt out for, for the rugby the next day. I've never seen anything happen that quick before at a at a supercross race. So that was quite uh, quite the different different thing to, to witness, but they had a job to do and they were able to kind of work around the fans. The fans were kind of penned in a wee bit at times, but it, it, it worked fine. And uh, as I said, to try and get a track that sort of suited everyone. Obviously, the one at Roman Fevre there after what he done in the World Championship, Maxime Renault, Antonio Crowley, we mentioned Alex Lupino had some really good speed. But also the Americas, it was still, you would say it was a supercross track just with a different type of whip section. So the Americans, you would say, still had, had an advantage that way, but it helped maybe even it up a wee bit to allow the GP riders to, to compete. And for me, I thought it was an overall a really good weekend, really good success from track to, to the riders. The racing was pretty good as well. And we got to see Chad Raiden Caroli on track for probably the last time. We had that moment with Caroli and Justin Brayton to, for Crowley to take third. Morgan, Marvin Musquin domination. 
unfortunately the only downside you you managed to detect the air a wee bit out of going into that third moto until Crowley, Subaras and Brayton charged it up at the end was Roman Fevre's crash that was pretty spectacular but not in a good way and just to reiterate he was really fast the whole from Friday on the Saturday so riding wise Fevre was actually <clears throat> really really impressive but as you mentioned, let's just hope that doesn't impact his, his MXGP season. He seemed quite positive on social media today that he's going to get better, come back stronger, and that it could have been worse. So hopefully he's in a good place mentally and will become in a good place physically sooner rather than later so we can get on with the preparation because it's it's a new team. He's staying with Kawasaki, obviously, but I think it's the Ice One race team he's going to. So it's going to be a new network of people and they're all going to have to get used to each other. So he will want some testing in with the bike and just to get comfortable with with everyone on, on the team to, to come into 2022 with a chance at the world title again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just two riders I'd like to bring up uh, before we go here. Alex Martin, obviously his first race in the 450 and seeing how small he is in real life, my respect to him. Um, he could easily have stayed in the 250 class, but he clearly likes a challenge. So it'll be nice to see him in the 450 class and see how he can do. He'll probably need a bit of a, a time to adapt to the bigger bike and gel with it, but hopefully he can have some good races. And another rider is Quentin Pergner. Obviously, his results wouldn't blow you away, but when you're actually at the track and you watch that kid's style, oh, he's so he good, actually yeah. stands out. He's very, very good to watch. And he was, he was on an 85 two years ago, and that was his first Supercross race, even though he's French. So I'm not sure he's got the best equipment, but um, hopefully he can have some good races in the MX250 class next year because his style is really, really good. Very, very impressive. Yeah, he was probably the first person that really caught my eye whenever I was watching SX2, the way he manipulates the bike, scrubbing jumps and going through them sand wipes. His feet are, are locked into the into the pegs on the balls of his feet and he's moving his feet just where he needs them to be. Everything was, was textbook, really, and you actually thought he was going to be higher on the time charts but I think he's still pretty young about 16 so he was one of those guys that stood out in terms of style and, and technique for sure and Alex Martin I think he, he said himself he just didn't get a good start all day so he never really got himself into the mix so probably frustrating that way but we were speaking to him after and he felt it still benefited him to get a race on the 450 before the the MS Supercross series starts so as you say he certainly isn't very tall and that's, that's a big bike to handle, but he seems pretty positive with everything, looking at the big picture and that just getting those those gate drops and that race intensity experience on a 450 will, will help him for, for 2022 AMS Supercross. But Andy, that's it. Paris Supercross over for another year. Some a slightly different type of Paris Supercross, but certainly very successful and certainly some moments that, that, that you'll probably all, always remember. Um, and would like to wish Roman Fevre a speedy recovery and hopefully we'll see him at Matterley Basin back on the form he was this year because indoors are right, Roman Fevre was on fire this year. So Andy, thanks very much and we'll speak to you all at some point again in the future. Thanks for listening. All the best guys. Thanks. Roll on MXGP 2022. Hear me. Bye-bye.